Well, hey there. My name is Pastor Tim, and you have found my podcast. I currently serve as the pastor of First United Methodist Church of Fort Pierce, Florida, and I'm so grateful to be able to connect with you in this way. This podcast is a collection of my sermons and teachings that I hope you will use to deepen and strengthen your connection with Jesus Christ so that you might go and transform the world around you. So kick back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, When he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, were not ten made clean, but the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, get up and go on your way for your faith has made you well. Does anyone's family here uh, have like a a tradition at Thanksgiving where you go around the table or wherever you're all seated and you say one thing that you're thankful for? Does anyone hate that? (laughs) Like being put on the spot, you know? (laughs) We don't have like a hard and fast tradition of that in my family at least. I don't think, I mean, it's honestly been like 20 years since I had Thanksgiving dinner with my family. And even then, we were kind of all over the place. So, I don't know, I've just been like kind of like a Thanksgiving nomad for my whole life. So, uh, just relying on the generosity of people and communities around me to make sure that I eat. And now I bring other people with me, right? But anyway, what's cool about that fact in my life is I get to just kind of see what other people do. You know, and so when I, when I end up in a situation where everyone's saying what they're thankful for, what they're grateful for, what I really love to do is just watch the faces of the people who are having a really hard time thinking of a thing. And it's usually exacerbated by the fact that the people that go first say such like deep and meaningful things that they're thankful for, leaving the rest of us to kind of just like try and grasp at straws of like, how do I, you know? How I keep up with that, man, because, like, I'm just thankful that, like, the Wi-Fi is working and the football's on the TV and, like, the food smells good, you know? Like, come on. So I think, like, it's important for us, you know, to just really name that. It's okay to just be thankful for the mundane things in life, you know? It, it's okay to just be thankful that there's, you know, a, a roof, where you're at, or that there's food on the table, or, you know, that, um, that the Wi-Fi works, right? Because the reality is that, that we live in a society that has, seems to have forgotten to be thankful for the, the mundane things, the, the 
everyday blessings that we experience. And when we forget to be grateful for these kinds of things, what happens is we tend to move from a place and a mindset of gratitude into a place and a mindset of entitlement, where we just expect to have all of these good things. And then when we don't get these things, or, or when something terrible happens to us, we move into a place of bitterness and resentment. And bitterness and resentment are what seem to drive our society these days. At least, that's if you watch the news, what seems to be our current reality. And I got to say, like, my experience with human beings and the world lately has really seemed to put this forth as a true and real thing. Maybe it's always been this way, but at least we all now have a platform where we can openly voice our deep-seated disgust to the public, thanks to social media. And so today marks uh, the final sermon in a sermon series that we've been going through called All Your Mind, where we've been taking a look at mental health through the lens of Jesus' greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. And what we are seeing is that the two most often neglected pieces of Jesus' command, to love God with our minds and to love ourselves, are really the key to acknowledging, addressing, and recovering from mental illness. And so today we're going to take a turn into like kind of a different neighborhood than we've been in already. We've already talked about depression talked about anxiety, we've talked about addiction, and if you missed any of those sermons, I would encourage you to go on the website and check them out because they are really important, and some people have even told me that they were good, so there's that. (laughs) But we're going to take a turn into a topic that, you know, isn't classified as a mental illness technically, but it is a condition that poisons our mind. It makes us ill. So I think that it fits the topic at hand. So the most important thing about it, though, today is that it's universally applicable and it can really uh, be a condition that can complicate our mental health in every possible way. Today we're looking at a condition called bitterness. Bitterness is the opposite of gratitude. Like if gratitude is a way of living that gives thanks for all that we have, then bitterness is a way of living and thinking that exemplifies our dissatisfaction with the things that we don't have. And listen, life is hard. (laughs) And it's normal to be upset by losses that we suffer and by injustices that we face in life. Grief and disappointment are just a part of the human experience. But bitterness, however, is what happens when grief and disappointment take root in our hearts, in our souls, and in our minds, and become the driving force between how we think and act. So to jump back to Luke's story here about Jesus healing these lepers, these people with a skin disorder, I want to set the scene for you a little bit. See, Jesus is traveling on his way to Jerusalem. At this point in the story, at this point in Jesus' life, 
He's making his final pilgrimage towards the cross. Now, you might be aware that Jesus' life was spent really rubbing a lot of people wrong, taking off a lot of folks, and a lot of people had bitter hearts when it came to the subject of Jesus of Nazareth. And a lot of that came because Jesus was a truth teller. And it's difficult sometimes to hear the truth. It's not what folks always want to hear. And so Jesus was no stranger to the bitter heart. In fact, his entire destiny kind of hinged on the fact that some people with bitter hearts would do some things that would put him on a cross and take him to the grave. And so Jesus, on his way to embracing this destiny, this reality, passes through this region between Samaria and Galilee. And this is an important detail because this area is kind of like no man's land. It's like a neutral zone, if you will, although it's not between two folks that are engaged in armed conflict. They're really engaged in what is called a culture war. Galilee was Jewish territory. Samaria was Samaritan territory. These were like the Hatfields and the McCoys, right? Like the, the Gators and the Seminoles. Go Knowles. What? <laughs> the Samaritans and the Jews, you see, they used to be one people. They used to be one family, descended from sons of one man named Jacob. They were a people called Israel, a people who went down into Egypt to survive a famine together, people who were rescued from slavery in Egypt together, who received God's covenant blessing and law together at Mount Sinai. These were people who traveled together in the wilderness, who conquered the promised land together. They settled and built cities together. They flourished together under Kings David and Solomon. They built the temple in Jerusalem together. They gathered there to worship God together. And then it all came crumbling down. Civil war between two rival kings, brothers no less, split the kingdom, or the kingdom, if you will, in two. One kingdom in the north that claimed Samaria as their capital, and one kingdom in the south who would call Jerusalem their own. And over the course of the hundreds of years that followed through the ever-changing landscape of empires and conquest and exile, these two people groups would grow further and further apart. But the bitterness between them would grow stronger and stronger and stronger. There was no love lost between them. Jews hated Samaritans, and Samaritans hated Jews. So on the way to Jerusalem, the site of Jesus' cross that would reconcile the world, Luke tells us that Jesus passed through this neutral zone, this area where people who disliked one another avoided. And what Jesus found in the neutral zone was a leper colony. Now, lepers are people with a skin disease that forced them to be exiled from their own communities. And so they moved to the outskirts of society, to places where no one would willingly go, like the land between Samaria and Galilee. And in this place, lo and behold, all of a sudden Jewish and Samaritan lepers were able to live together. 
both had faced the same bitter sting of exile as both of their societies still followed the law of Moses, which had stipulations about who could come in contact with people with a skin disease. And so for Jesus, this is like, this is the place that he wants to go. Like, this is, he goes out of his way to go and be with these people. Everyone else would have been apt to avoid this area. After all, you know those people live there, right? And not just those people of my choice, but those people who also have a skin disease. But Jesus waltzes in, and immediately they all recognize who he is. And so 10 of them come up and at a distance ask Jesus for healing. To which Jesus says, well, of course. Go on your way. Go tell the priests. And as they're on their way to go and speak with the priests, they all are healed. And the important detail to come is that one of these men is a Samaritan. But we'll get to that in a moment. You see, in the midst of this bitter world that these folks inhabited, in the midst of it, they kind of hold the key to unlocking the door to healing our hearts from bitterness. They recognize that that healing is available. They recognize that there's hope. And they recognize whom that hope has come to them in. They recognize Jesus. And they ask Jesus for healing. And what they get in return is a command to go and show the world that their hope was well-founded, that they have been restored. Jesus says, go and show the priests that you're clean. Being declared clean by a priest would allow them to return to their families, to their society, to live as normal folks. And here's the funny thing. They don't ask any questions. They just go. They could have they had like every reason to be like, I'm not going to the priests. Those are the people that put me here. I don't like them. Instead, they get up and they go without hesitation. And then something amazing happens. Something that Luke's audience should probably not be shocked by at this point in the gospel because Luke's always elevating the little guy. He's always bringing the the underdog to the forefront of the story. But still, it's probably shocking nonetheless. One of the men returns to Jesus, a Samaritan man. He falls at Jesus' feet, he praises him, and he thanks him. And this is where we often have some difficulty because we're like, well, what happened to the other nine? Did they like become unhealed because they didn't say thanks? It doesn't say that. They were healed. The one who returned takes this thing a step further. See, the other nine, presumably Jewish, went on about their lives. You know, I don't know what their thinking was. Luke doesn't tell us. Luke doesn't care. Maybe they're just a little bit entitled because of their status as Jews. They were like, hey, we're good to go now. The focus isn't on them. The focus is on the Samaritan man and what Jesus says to him. Jesus says to him, your faith has made you well. And the interpretive move here 
that we need to make is to shift from physical wealth to spiritual wellness. All 10 men were made physically well. That's what the text says. They've all 10 been healed of their skin disorder. Shoot, they've all 10 been made socially well as they're now able to return to society. But only one of them, does Luke say, has been made spiritually well. The word that Jesus uses when he says, your faith has made you well, is the same word that's used throughout the rest of the New Testament to mean salvation. Jesus says, your faith has saved you. And think of that. In the midst of a culture war where this Samaritan has been told for his whole life that he's outside of God's promise, outside of God's plan for the world, that he's in abomination, that he's separated from God's love. Jesus, the Messiah of Israel, a Jewish rabbi, the face of God on earth, says to him, you're in, dude. You get it. You are my people. And I think that the leap that we need to make here is really only a leap in time to understand what this means for us. Because the cultures are different, but the human condition remains the same. We live in a world that's divided between Galilee and Samaria still. We just have different names for it. Red or blue, pro this or pro that, et cetera, et cetera. You don't need the list because it's already written on every wall in America, right? We are a bitter people. We can't help but think that the other people, that they're out. Beyond sanity, beyond God's promise, beyond saving. But look at us. This strange body of people called the church. I mean, look where we are. Do you see it? Do you perceive where I'm going with you? We're in the neutral zone, the place where Jesus comes to heal, the place where it doesn't matter what side of any aisle you come from, what family background you have, the place where we get to be surprised that God reaches out and touches the lives of the ones in the world that maybe even some of those silly religious people say are out. We get to see how God says to them, your faith has made you well. You, friend, you're in. You're mine. Now listen, the church is uh, far from a perfect institution, but we should take comfort in the fact that it's kind of just been a mess since day one. But the Apostle Paul wrote these words to one of those churches that was around from almost day one, church in a place called Ephesus. And he gives them these words of advice for, you know, how to conduct themselves, how to live together. He says, let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you are marked with a seal for the day of redemption. So put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, 
forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. You know, what we find here are just the blueprints for overcoming a mind burdened with the poison of bitterness. We follow the example of these 10, the lepers who reached out to Jesus for healing. And then we go that extra step of the Samaritan man and praising God as the source of our healing. And then we live like that. We follow Paul's words and act in a new way. Act in a way that's contrary to what we've been hearing maybe our whole lives is how to get ahead, how to live with one another. We use our words in a constructive way. We, we build each other up. We bring each other in. We meet one another's needs and we shut down the, the malice and the gossip and all the junk and focus on forgiveness and reconciliation. See, when we do this, we truly learn what it looks like to love our neighbors as ourselves. We truly learn what it means to love God with our minds. We truly learn what it looks like to love God with our whole selves. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you for the ways that you have shown up and continue to show up in our lives. Thank you for the gift of community, the gift of the church, the gift of this world that so desperately, desperately needs to know that they're not alone, that you are with them, and that their faith can make them well. So help us to be the, the bearers of that message. Help us to bring healing to bitter hearts, to bitter minds. God, help us to be agents of healing, agents of recovery for those who, who so desperately struggle. God, we thank you and, and we love you give you all of our praise. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.